Hello and welcome along to the Scottish Music Centre's podcast, In Tune. I'm Keith Beattie and today I'm joined with drummer from Frightened Rabbit and founding trustee of Tiny Changes, Grant Hutchison. How's it going, Grant? Good, good, thanks. Thank you, man. Are you coping? Uh, yeah, coping, coping all, all, all right, actually. Um, uh, had a, got a three-month-old baby, our first daughter, me and Molly's first child, so that's uh, she's been taking up most of our time. So, so yeah, now we're doing, we're doing okay. Congrats, man. Thanks. Um, how did you get into music in the first place? I mean, probably, probably, I would say my brothers, both of them, you know, like growing up, the youngest of three, hearing what music they were listening to in the, in the house. Uh, both, you know, Neil and Scott played played guitar in bands, so I, I would see them doing that in school and, and outside of school as well. There was, I guess there was always, you know, music being played in, in the house growing up, you know, live as in them playing guitar, but also just, you know, my dad had records that he would play and they would play albums as well when they were older. So, uh, I, you know, I remember kind of, sort of specifically with Neil anyway, who's five years older than me, going through his kind of teenage angst years, uh, you know, with uh, listening to a load of the kind of Seattle grunge stuff and Rage Against the Machine and, um, like, you know, I guess like most teenagers, so I dabbled in hip hop a little bit as well, just just because mm-hmm. because it was you know um, it was angry. <laughs> um, so so yeah, so that like that definitely my, my brothers would be massive influences on on me and why I, why I ended up doing music. And what made you choose drums? Why did you pick Kit? Uh, I, I made a there was a conscious decision to avoid what they were doing. I was that was kind of always my approach being the youngest was like well, I'm not I'm nothing like them you know <laughs> um so avoiding guitar was, was was probably the 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 main reason and then when I got to got to high school and in first year you know everyone gets a shot of of um all the instruments and and I just I just sat at the drums and it just it sounds really cheesy and unbelievable but it just felt it felt right and I, I could do it you know I could once I'd been told you know once I'd been kind of shown the basics by my music teacher uh I just I just had it and, and that's something with that I think is probably um more kind of prevalent in drums this 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 idea that you've got it or you've not you know um because there's there's there'll be people who could try and learn to play the drums all their life and and, and just never get there. You know, it's yeah. coordination, rhythm, feel, and you know, yeah, you, you obviously you have that with with every instrument. But there's just you know the fact that you can't you can't hit a wrong note, you can't play a key, <laughs> uh, means that if you sit down and you, and you have you have all those elements then then you, you should be able to instantly play along whether whether it's uh playing along with something that's been recorded and you're playing it correctly is sort of irrelevant you know it's it's uh that i, th- I think that's another thing that attracted me to it was you know that, that there's 
there's a there's a sort of freedom to it that you maybe don't have with with other instruments, uh, which which would be you know like I said like the the notation and and the, the, the just playing playing with other people isn't something you can just sit down and do right away, you know. I sure, I totally get that. Yeah. And was was Frightened Rabbit the first band you were in, or were you playing other bands before that? I mean, I had a band at school, mm-hmm. um, but we, we were mainly mainly doing covers. You know, with, like yeah. uh, growing up in the borders, um, where you know there's no there are no sort of actual live music venues aside from you know town halls and, and pubs and things. But there's no there's no dedicated live music venues, so. Um, so so bands touring bands don't stop off in the borders you know so we, we'd be traveling up to Glasgow or Edinburgh uh, to see gigs so you know when we were growing up playing songs at these gigs in the town halls that were organized for for young bands it was it was covers that people wanted to hear you know um so I might say we did we did a few of our own, but they were kind of you know they were total school project songs, and yeah. uh, and, and and it was good and it was a good way of of learning how to create um, songs or maybe more appropriately learning how not to do it. Right. <laughs> um, but but no, I think right now it was was you know it was, it was the, the first band certainly that I was in where I, you know it felt like it could or would be a real thing, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was that quite organic, the way you found yourself in, in the band with Scott? Was it quite an organic thing? Yeah. Um, uh, well, yes, I know. I mean, we, we didn't we didn't play together growing up, you know, so there wasn't this, um, this, this thing where oh, we'd always had this musical connection. Um, he played. He had his own band, and I had mine. And um, uh, but but when he needed a drummer, you know, I think it was it, it didn't it didn't really have anyone else to ask, I guess. Um, and uh, and then when we did start playing together, it kind of did become obvious that that both musically, personality-wise, it, it it sort of worked. You know, like we were um, very different. Uh, people that you know that that obviously with any band and that has family members in it, there's going to be clashes and arguments, and there is with most band members anyway. Um, but it on the whole, it was we complemented each other pretty well. Um, so I guess that what organically happened was the the roles that we both took within the band. Um, and who who did what kind of pretty naturally that happened absolutely and, and on that that the sort of role you took was more of an organizational role wasn't it within the band definitely yeah um scott was scott was the kind of scott was the songwriter the creator um uh you know and, and early on right down to to even drum parts you know not he couldn't sit and do them but he could <laughs> <laughs> he could even tell me what, what he wanted uh yeah, much to my sort of you know disappointment <laughs> at times because you know <laughs> I'm sure you were delighted about that. It's like, oh, hold on, I I can actually play the job, but you know I think what um, 
there was a you know like I said before there was a, there was a musical connection there, but it took a bit of time to to develop that and learn uh, how we both worked in terms of writing because when I first started playing, he had these songs anyway. So and it, and it, he, he was always the way he wrote was up to up to a certain point anyway. He would he would fully form the songs in his head. Yeah, just just through playing them over and over in, in his in his mind. So when I, when it came to me playing and recording them on the early songs, it was a case of right, this is what I've got in my head, you know, and mm-hmm. and I and I understood that how difficult it is to get that out of your head for someone else play something different. <laughs> um, so so yeah, so in terms of our roles, he was he was a creative writing one and and then I kind of took on this role of I guess what a manager would, would probably do, mm-hmm. you know. Um because well, because no one else is doing it for you, you know, and uh, and you don't want to pay someone when when all you're getting is forty quid and a slab of beer for a gig, you know, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't go very far. So, uh, so yeah, so I I was definitely more on the kind of um, organisational logistical um, management side of it, which is you know I, I enjoyed that when Scott didn't so. It totally made sense, and, yeah. and you know when you go on tour, uh, or well, when you do anything, but I guess touring specifically because that's how we, that's where we concentrate all our efforts at the start. You know, I think it's the best way to do it. I still think it is. Um, you know, you, you need you need someone to book a van, and you need someone to collect the money, and then use that money to pay for fuel, hotels. Um, mm-hmm. food, PDs, you know, like, uh, I mean, Scott and and money were did not <laughs> not a match made in heaven, like so. Yeah. It was quite funny seeing him if he ever did kind of come over. Well, he he would always come over to Merch. I don't want to make him sound like he was lazy, but his role at Merch when we're selling shirts at the end of the night was always just you just stand there, say hello, and sign, sign stuff. If anyone wants to buy anything. You know where to send them because there's so many times you just end up. He would just end up with fists full of cash, and you're like, "What's uh, what did you sell?" So, no idea. So uh, yeah, so it, it came to me to sort of try and you know uh, try and keep it as organised as possible. I still enjoyed myself, but mm-hmm. uh, so since then you've sort of done some tour managing, right? You were doing some stuff for the Twilight Sad and any other bands that you've worked with, and. Uh, I've not no. I um, just I've just done it with uh, with those guys um, uh, after Scott died and the and Frank Rabbit was was definitely you know over in a lot of respects and certainly in a live respect. Um, did a lot of searching um, for for what what was next and and one of the things I'd always thought that um, I would like to do was was tour managing. Just as because of what like, we just talked about there, you know, it was something that came quite naturally, and I'd learnt all about it. And coming from a the band side, it's a pretty good side to a tour manager. You don't always get that, you know. You have a tour manager who's who just as tour manager because they do sound or mm-hmm. because they, they're a lighting tech or because um, they can drive, you know. Uh, but there's there's a lot more to it than just you know 
fill out spreadsheets and sure. collecting the money and knowing what it's like to be on tour from a band's perspective is is a kind of vital thing to have. So so I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd kind of always thought that that would be a, a natural next step to take. And, and I, I did enjoy it, um, but I think it, I don't know, it was... It was interesting to, to do it and not have the the kind of end result of, of the show, you know. Kind of weirdly, you, you kind of, and you're part of everything right up to that point and then the band go on stage and then it's like, okay, go back to my laptop or, you know, uh, make sure that we can check into our hotel late or, you know, um, and, it, and it, it was great. And, and there was no one else, there was no other band I would have done it with, you know, uh-huh. there, so good friends and uh, like professional peers as well and um, and I love spending time with them um, so that was great but then the thought of doing that again with someone with a band I don't know not knowing whether I, I would get on with them and uh, and, and also the, when, when you're in when you're a part of the band and you you're in a tour cycle uh, at the end of that cycle or in between tours or in between shows even your 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 time is essentially off really yeah um and that's not the case with the tour manager mm-hmm. you're you know in between tours you're always looking ahead to the next one and having to figure out how you're going to make that work um and you know once a, a band finishes their their campaign that they've built around their album which involves touring they then take time off to write and record the next album. And as a tour manager, you've no idea how long that's going to take um, for them to do that. They probably, unless you're tour managing someone of a decent profile, they're not going to be able to pay you in between that. So you need to then find another band to work with. And it just ends up in this sort of constant work cycle of, right. of being away um, and your home you're working on being away, you know, and that, that I loved touring with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you'd come back and you'd have your time off and then you, you the time off, you'd see everyone and you'd, you'd spend time with people and then it was like, right, cool, ready to go again. Um, and, and it worked, the kind of up and down um, nature of it. But the, with the tour manager, you, you're never really off. Uh, and, and it just, it just, this wasn't something that I, I could, you know, see myself doing, you know, long into my forties, fifties. Sure, I think in some ways you would be almost the perfect sort of tour manager, having been in that position as an artist, where you you know the things that are tough, mm-hmm. you know the parts that you need help with, and that more holistic approach of having somebody on board that knows knows how the art is feeling. Like aye, very unusual aye. to have that, as you said. I agree. Definitely, and it's and it's so important because uh, although, like I mentioned before, not having the high of the show for me was was difficult. But when you're in the band, even having that those ups and downs that that I said that that I thrived off of, lots of people don't, uh, and yeah. that can be um, that can be a real struggle for people. You know, it was it was for Scott. You know, it's something that. Uh, I I know he struggled with, you know, was um, being on tour and suffering with his depression or his anxiety particularly bad. 
uh, but having to switch on and off on stage, you know, and, and standing in front of, you know, 5,000 people and entertaining them and they're all adoring you and then you go back to this room after 90 minutes and uh, get on a bus and sleep on a bus and wake up do it the next day. And, um, that mentally is, is something that uh, I don't know if everyone understands the uh, the toll that can take. Um, and, uh, and and yet, you know, having, having crew that are fully understanding of that isn't a given. Um, so so yeah, they could definitely and 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 you and I know I've got the tools uh to do it. Um but but yeah, it it felt also felt like a kind of a, a sort of clean break from music for not necessarily forever, but certainly for the moment felt like the right thing to do after a couple of years thinking about what I wanted to do. Yeah. And since then, like when I sort of last met you, we were talking about the the charity with perfectly named charity, Tiny Changes, which has been set up. So since then, it's obviously it's became leaps and bounds. It's went on. So tell us more about that, about the setup of that charity and the reason for that charity. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it was May twenty eighteen that Scott uh, took his own life, and uh, as a family, we we'd kind of we'd we'd felt very quickly after that, that that this you know wasn't wasn't right and that something needed to be done um to to help you know people who were or are in in the position scott was in before he died and um and i, I for me the the one thing i always remember from around that time was was my mum saying that you know because we, we had a lot of support as a family and as a band during the week when Scott went missing and then in the weeks after his death. And to be honest, since even since then we have, you know, um, so many people offering, you know, support, condolences, financial help. People were, you know, offering to set up pages. And, um, and my mum, I remember her saying, well, what, you know, that's all good for us but what about the people that you know in the week that Scott killed himself statistically there, there would have been another 10 people I think it is you know that's so many uh, people have been affected by it. Um, what about those families you know that's something that mum was quite um, quite kind of open about um, and uh, and it's true you know there's, there's so many people affected by it every year and, and they don't have Thousands of people around the world offering them mm-hmm. help, and but but it doesn't devastate a family or a community any less than than it than it did ours. So 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 yeah. So we we were new straight away we had to do something, and and also that you know we had, we had a kind of platform and a voice that we that we had to use, and uh, and you know after after a while you know we would set up a charity, and, and that, that charity would be a mental health charity, and that eventually we decide we would focus on children and young people thinking that that's where the most impact could be made um but because there's a lack of funding already there um a lack of decent initiatives in government policy and um 
And well, we also felt that that was where long term you could have you could make the most change or encourage the most change. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd we'd gone over maybe you know men's mental health or suicide prevention or mental health in music and and they're all excellent causes but uh this just and it, it also it was you know it went back to scott being at the heart of the charity and, and the fact that he was as a child grown up was anxious and it was clear that his mental health issues didn't just start when he started playing in the band or um you know when he when he reached a certain age the they, you know, they were they were there from when he was young and and had that support for for him and for mum and dad or for his teachers or you know his his even his pals in school yeah. um, who might have noticed that if there was something there for them to to do something then maybe he wouldn't have gone down uh, the path that he did or um, had the issues that he did so so we thought that that should be the the approach um and the focus uh and and the, yeah I, I think i've i've no doubt they made the right decision because uh, the support has been has been amazing so far completely i know it's, it's incredibly brave grant and did worthwhile for sure i uh, interesting how young people can sort of be involved and how people can support it i know that you can donate to the charity and how how other ways can people support that charity and how people reach out to it we uh, at the moment, like you say, you can you can donate to it. Um, we we have just just um, ran a, a an application scheme for COVID nineteen specific emergency kind of relief okay. uh, fund, which all the kind of successful applicants have just been uh, informed this week. Um, so we had a bit of a load of people applying for for help with like on the whole a lot of it was sort of issues of connectivity and um, bringing young people together with each other or connecting them with counsellors or um, teachers um, or you know just giving giving people access to um, technology that would allow that. Um, so we'll we'll be announcing everyone pretty soon that, that benefited from that, um, and that I mean that that ended up kind of pushing back slightly our original launch of our grants program, which was going to be sort of more general and and not uh, related to coronavirus. Um, but that'll still be happening in I think the end of this month. Um, so that's going to be be a, a similar process where uh, you can apply for a small grant of up to £5,000 for either a new idea that you have or an existing initiative that uh, either needs more funding or has run out of funding. Um, um, and and we're kind of encouraging as many young people to apply right. as possible because you know, I think what's really important for us as a charity is is not to ignore young people's opinions. You know, and and um, because it's them that we're we're trying to help. And if we just spoke to you know 
mental health professionals or healthcare professionals or teachers or parents, you wouldn't get the right answers, you know. Um, so so we're, we're trying our best to listen to people that need our help and, and really get a good idea of what it is that we can do for them. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's the next way that people can, can get kind of actively involved and, and just, you know, we can be contacted on social media and through the website by anyone who, who really wants to speak to us about an idea they might have, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're not the Samaritans in that we're, we're offering advice and services directly to people with mental health issues. Um, but we're open to hearing what people think could and should change and, and if someone has an idea for that and, and it maybe doesn't fit into uh, the small grants then uh, there's there's no reason why you can't just give us a shout you know um, because we, we want it to be as accessible as possible um, and the, the initially the small grants program that we're launching it will be focused on a certain area of Scotland but that's that's purely because it's our first one and we felt like we you know we needed to kind of limit it just just so that we we got it right you know um but as i say you know if you, if you feel like you're um something that that we could help with or you've got an idea or there's something you want to talk about so about a project or an initiative then just let definitely let us know that's brilliant oh, cool um and also the stuff you've been doing with, within us with Music Plus has been exceptional some of the mentoring you've been involved in it's been brilliant yeah um, it's been great basically like the, the, the band that I think I had put you in touch with have been so super chuffed like you went way over and above Grant like going to a sound check and all that and helping them out and they were over the moon with the help you gave them yeah I know it was, it was great I, I really enjoyed I mean I enjoyed doing the, the drum tuition uh, you know with the one on one, but the the band experience was uh, with Morats was brilliant. Like it really, it, uh, it just it felt <clears throat> it felt like there was much more of a kind of well, obviously there was more of a collective um, discussion going on, but uh, there was more opportunity to kind of bounce creative ideas as well um, and getting a kind of decent. We did a few kind of three-hour slots that uh, that I think went really well, and also they were super responsive to what uh, Billy and I were saying, who who I did it with, and uh, and it was good. and also they're so great. They they as a band they're brilliant. They they've already got this identity that, that I think is the thing that people can search for forever. It's as a band, it's it's not really that important that all your band members are brilliant musicians or even that you're a brilliant songwriter uh, or you, you know how to set up at a gig or you, you know you know how to write a set list. These things you can all learn, but the one thing you can't learn is, uh, is, is who you are. You know, you, you already are that person or that band and, and they have that and, and they, I feel like they know it as well. Um, in in a way where so many young bands don't, or they're trying to be that person or that band, or mm-hmm. 
these three bands put together, you know, and, and that's a good way to find, um, to, to work through your influences. And, um, but you need to find, you need to have at the core of it what you are and what you're trying to get to people and listening to, to mole rats and chatting with them and working with them. It was clear that they have that. And that's great, you know. Absolutely. Um, and to be able to start off with that, uh, and then work on everything that comes around it is is a perfect position to be in. Well, it's so good to have you involved with them, and they were they were, they were delighted to have you. Yeah, well, we're hoping that we've been chatting to them just before this as well about maybe going doing a bit of recording because. The, like you said, we did. They did a show, and Billy and I went down to chat to them about that, and just get them help them get set up at soundcheck. And, and you know, like I said before, writing a set list as well wasn't something that that they'd done or considered as something that you you really need to think about, you know. Uh, and and we we've obviously have done that for years and years. And um, there's a very you know there's a, there's a sort of art to it, um, and it's not. Not everyone does it the same, and um, but you, you've got to you've got to know your songs and know what what works and what flows, and it's as important as an album okay. um, uh, running order. Uh, so, so yeah, so we did a bit of live work with them, and, and we're hoping that they can do maybe a bit of recording at some point too. Just just again, just so that they they get an idea of how that works. Gant, that's excellent, man. Listen, thanks so much today for taking the time. Having a chat with me. Um, That's great.